0: Tim, one of the pastor elders here, and um, we typically are preaching diet at Trinity for the last 20 years, we're typically working through a book, um, a book of the Bible. Uh, we're in a series that we still seek to preach expository um, preaching, uh, but we are jumping around moving around quite a bit and so we've been in the New Testament the past couple of weeks felt like it'd be appropriate let's let's pull us into the Old Testament um, this morning so oh Lord help us um, I, I mentioned uh, this phrase uh, two weeks ago in starting our series I want to want to restate it because it's somewhat of a series that's going that unpacks as we go through our current um, preaching series, let me just say it. Trinity Community Church is a God centered church where the Word of God is proclaimed and received as our authority, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is our only hope of salvation. That's really um, the past, including this week, three weeks and the next couple. And then the second sentence will be um, the, the last half of our series. We believe in the ongoing work of the Spirit. And grace that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit provides that drives us to serving and giving, stewardship and mission, and, and all the things that the church does. Trinity Community Church, doctrine, distinctives, direction. This is where we've been past three weeks. We started off with the surprise that is the church from 1 Peter chapter 2. The surprise, we, we, we all should walk in the room and, and surprise we're here. Like, surprise, how'd you get here? Who let you in? Who let me in? Surprise, we get to worship God this morning. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That was week one. And then Christian helped us last week. What is the purpose of the church, and thank you, Christian, for unpacking Ephesians chapter 2 for us and, and just helping us to see what, what's the purpose? Why are we here? Well, this week is um, the fact that we want to be our desire is to be a God centered church. Okay, a God centered church. Now, I was reading on uh, the Cleveland Clinic website this week, and I was reading about the difference between central and peripheral. Now, it's probably pretty obvious, but I just want to read to you from their website. It says, peripheral vision refers to what you can see to each side and up and down, okay, without moving your head. So looking ahead, here's your peripheral, right? All right, and uh, or everything that you can see that isn't in your central vision. Your central vision is what you see that's directly in front of you. Imagine trying to live with only peripheral vision, no central vision. Scotoma can be a serious problem. A person with scotoma has no central vision. They can only see things on the edges of their eyesight, unable to see what's right in front of them. The non-medical term for scotoma is blind spot. Right. What we read here in Malachi is that the people of God have a scotoma problem of great significance. And what I want to say to us this morning from the outset is that blind spots are not far from us. We're not just reading about some people of old that we look at and say, wow, what is wrong with these people, the people of God back then? Uh, scotoma is is a problem here here i'm pointing to myself scotoma is a problem here it's why we're going through the series that we're going through our desire is to deal with our spiritual scotoma by refocusing and placing him at the center of all things center of life center of home center of the church Center of our marriage, center of our parenting, center in all things. So with that, let's pause and pray. Lord God, we pray. uh, We have blind spots. uh, And because they're blind spots, we don't know we have them. So Lord, we're asking for your spirit to do what only your spirit can do. (laughs) Lord, through the preaching of your word, Lord, I can't preach sight into us. Lord, my words are nothing. They will vanish in the air, but your word is life to our souls. And your spirit is at work in your church. And you, Jesus, are the head of the church, and you're building your church this morning. And so it's with great faith that we come now to the moment where we preach your word and we receive your word. Lord, by your spirit, be at work Through the preaching of your word, build your church today, we pray. Help us with our blind spots. Help us with our spiritual scotoma disease. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's get right to it. A God-centered burden. Malachi, the messenger. All right, I want us to put put our Bibles together a little bit, if you will. Christian already said, go to Matthew, turn left, right? It's the last book of the Old Testament, And, and... that's not just how you find it, but what's going on? How do we, how do we put our Bibles together? Well, these are the days um, following other prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. All right, So these are days after Haggai and Zechariah. We're in about the 400s BC. Cyrus has decreed that the people of God can return to Jerusalem from their Babylonian exile. All right? Um, You can think when you hear that, think things or books or prophets, Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, you can think of Esther, Um, and that was about 100 years prior to the book of Malachi, okay, the people of Malachi. So they've returned to their land, the temple's been restored, houses have been rebuilt, Um, the walls of Jerusalem uh, repaired, think again, Nehemiah. And maybe best of all, they're no longer in or under Babylon. That's where we find ourselves. But years have passed by, and what was once loud praises has grown still. As I said, the days of suffering of the Babylonian exile is about 100 years ago. Hearts now have grown casual and cold towards the Lord. Complacency has replaced what was once inflamed hearts of affectionate worship. Their love for God has grown stale. God is less and less at the center and more and more in the periphery of their vision. Living for God has become more of a duty than it is a worship. Serving is more obligatory and less thankful praise. That's Malachi. That's where we land this morning. Um, Malachi is a, is a prophet to the people who once kept God central, but now have moved him to the edges of their life. They have scotoma. The next prophet you will read of in your Bible is John the Baptist. All right, so that's, that's who's coming. And his message really can be summed up, Malachi's message can be summed up in chapter three when he says to the people, return to me and I will return to you. Wow, that's good news. As as the Lord says to to the people through the prophet Malachi, come on back and I will be back. I'm with you. Um, Or we could say it like this, put the Lord where the Lord belongs, um, at the center of all things. You see, I believe this little book, Malachi, is every bit as relevant today as it was in 450 B.C. Every bit. Their problem is our problem. Their disease is our disease. We're not beyond the book of Malachi. Please address our soul self in the self-righteousness that would look at this and go, yeah, can't, can't see how that's relevant to my life at all. Lord, help us. We're not beyond the book of Malachi. And the moment that we think we're beyond the book of Malachi is the moment we are the book of Malachi. Thus, Malachi's prophetic solution is our solution. Namely, put God at the center. Get God at the center. So he begins, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The oracle, or some of your versions will say, The burden of the word of the Lord. I like that. I like that. I like the sound of that. That's that's what Malachi is. He's bringing the burden of the word of the Lord to the Lord's people. And that's how I want you to hear this sermon. It's the burden of the word of the Lord. Um, Malachi writes 10 times in these 14 verses. He'll, he'll say things like, says the Lord of hosts, declares the Lord, says the Lord. So, over the repetition. I think, uh, I, think I counted 23 times in these four chapters, these short chapters. Um, we're hearing, says the Lord, says the Lord, says the Lord. It's the oracle, it's the burden of the word of the Lord. And Malachi is simply the messenger. Of that burden, okay. Do you, do you know what the name Malachi means? It means messenger, his very name is messenger. Here is the messenger. So, to be God centered, well, I believe we need this little book and we, we need this entire book. We, this, this whole book is the burden of the Lord to his people. What a gift! What a gift we have. We can't grow tired of hearing the importance of this book in the life of the church and the life of each of us individually as followers of Christ because the moment we lose sight of it is the moment we lose the burden of the Lord is the moment we have a scotoma problem is the moment the Lord is no longer at the center of our individual lives. We have blind spots at Trinity. And this ought to be the burden of the priest's. But it's not the burden of the priests. You can read about that in verse 7. We'll actually read it in a little bit. But verse 7 is showing us it's really the priests are the blind leading the blind. Malachi rebukes the priests who are failing in their leadership, and their failure here is where the church, I'm going to say in 2023, finds herself. Pastors who want to be more secularly relevant or entertaining or watering down the burden of the Lord might fill a building with religious activity, but if God is not at the center of it, who or what is, needs to be our question. The priests were to be the messengers to Israel. You can find that chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. I won't take the time to read it now. I encourage you to go home this afternoon and read the book. It'll take you about five minutes, but get the entire book and the entire message of the book. But these priests are failing to carry, well, they're failing in their role to carry the message of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sends a messenger with a message to bring the burden of the word of the Lord. And the the burden is what? sum down, it's what I already said, return to the Lord and I'll return to you. Or we could say, bring what was once at the center and is now in the peripheral. Look, they're not entirely blind. They have some eyesight, as we'll see. Bring what's now in the peripheral back to the center because religious activity has replaced Lord God centrality in Malachi. Trinity, we want God at the center of all we do. We want God at the center. I want God at the center, and I don't want a God of my own making. I want God. I want the Lord God, the sovereign, almighty, living God at the center of our lives and the life of the church at Trinity. Amen. To miss that, is to miss everything. You miss that, you miss the point of the church. We're lost, we've lost our way. Why are we a church? We like to say this, Trinity Community Church exists to treasure Christ, grow in Christ, proclaim Christ. God is to be the center of the church because after all, the church is you, and you, week one, are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. God at the center, at this expression of a local church, Trinity Community Church. At the center, pastor elders. At the center, moms, dads. At the center, as you're teaching in the children's ministry. At the center, center of our marriages, center of our singing. Miss this? You miss the point of the church? All we have, you missed that? Here's what we have. We have a great religious organization this morning. Welcome to the religious organization. And we will die on the vine. Didn't say that the building will be empty and the building can be full and we die on the vine. That is the book of Malachi. Malachi. It's a tough book. It's a confronting book. They have people and they have committed people. Hear me. They're not rebellious people. They're committed people. But God is not central. They've traded true worship for a lesser thing. They've traded it for religious activity. And religious activity is worth nothing. If this is all we are, and Malachi even says it, Shut it down. Verse 10. You don't believe me. Oh, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. The door, the the, the temple doors. Shut them. That you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Miss this. You miss the point of the Bible. God at the center. Miss this, you miss why you have a Bible. Miss this, you miss you miss the point of the Great Commission. Miss this, you miss the reason why Jesus came, took on human flesh, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, has given you the Holy Spirit. Miss this, you miss why we're here, why we just sang, why we teach the children, why we serve, why we give, and all the rest. You miss it all? We want... At Trinity Community Church, we want to be a God-centered church. You miss that, you miss it all. That's why we find ourselves here this morning preaching this text in this series to reiterate. Secondly, a God-centered problem. Here's the problem. Bring the leftovers and let's all call it worship. Verse number two. I have loved you. Says the Lord. But you say, How have you loved us? Wow. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Now, lest you get a little bit lost in the wait a minute, the, you know, some of the verbiage there, it's tough. It's tough, but don't lose sight. Just just track with the question. I've loved you, says the Lord. How have you loved us? They are questioning the Lord's love in their lives. They're actually questioning how the Lord has loved them. They have forgotten (laughs) a lot of history. They will question God in this small book seven times. Do you hear the man-centered demand in their question how have you lo- how have you loved us because i'm not seeing it they have forgotten their history they've forgotten their ancestry they've forgotten where they come from they need a history lesson a geography lesson a theology lesson remember during covid said quite a few times we need to be better historians Meaning, let's get out of COVID a little bit. Let's, let's look at pandemics throughout history and find out, oh, this is bad, and I don't want to minimize it. This is bad, but it's not that bad. History would tell us that. But we also need to be better geographers. Meaning, we need to get out of America. We think we're suffering. It's so much suffering. Well, I've been in my house for how many hours now? How many days and how many weeks? Get out of America and find out what suffering really looks like. In a good portion of the world. And we need to be better theologians. We need to be better students of our word. That God is sovereign. (laughs) God is faithful. None of this is catching him off guard. Well, that's the people in Malachi. And what they get here in verses 1 and 2 is a theology lesson. In their question, there is this unbelief about who God is. And what is his activity towards them. I've loved you, says the Lord. How? I I don't see it. I don't see it in my life. They, They need some history. They need some theology. After all we're doing, all this religious things that we're doing, where is the kickback? Where is the favor? We deserve more from you, Lord. Where's the love? Look at all our activity. Yet their activity was really a deception because they were religiously active Their hearts, though, at the same time was far from God. The God-centered solution that Malachi offers is rooted in knowing that God is sovereign. And it's rooted in his sovereign grace. They fail to see it here. How have you loved us? Notice God's answer is not, hey, you guys chose me. What happened? His answer is, I chose you. (laughs) I chose you. And it has nothing to do with you, what, your activity. It has everything to do with the Lord's activity. It's a theology lesson, verse number two. I chose you free and unconditionally, sovereign grace, based in me, not based in you. It is not Jacob, is, is not, he says, Jacob, Esau's brother. In other words, didn't Esau have as much natural claim On my love, as did Jacob, God chose you. He chose you not because of your greatness, not because of your giftedness, not because of your righteousness. Thank the Lord. If it were not for God, you would have never pursued him. And worship is driven by that. God sovereignly saw you and saw me in our pitiful state. And he said, you're mine. Praise him, you're mine. And God is saying, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? You're, you're chosen. You are, just that is how you've been loved by God. And what he's doing here, to take it a little deeper, is he's going covenant on them. You are my covenant people. All that God does towards them is his expression of love. For them, Even that exile thing, when you were in Babylon, that was the Lord's love towards them. Everything he does, because they belong to him, and you belong to God. I want to ask you, how convinced are you of that truth? Even in your suffering, even in your struggles, you have God, and because you have God, and because God is for you, you can put the Lord at the center of your suffering. We need to do business with who God is. So this question by the people, is a, is a, it's a diss on God. They completely disregard it. I've loved you. Ah, oh, How? I don't see it. Not seeing it. Not feeling it here. And his faithful, covenantal love for them is his answer. He has loved them, and they call that into question. Thanks for choosing us and all, because that, that's great. But in light of all these sacrifices that we're making, we think there should be a bigger kickback. And we're not seeing it. What else you got for us? That would prove your love for us. Or is this it? Let's look again, verses 6. I think I'll get to verse 9, at what some of this sacrificing looked like. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? How many of you ate, show of hands, you ate leftovers this week? Right? right, We would probably, uh, man, everyone. We had leftovers this week. Now, you know when those leftovers have been left over too long, right? Like you're looking at that soup and you're like, gosh, man, not again, not uh, that soup again. Uh, that soup has been here too long. Or you're, that casserole that you're, you're looking at and you're wondering like, should this be tossed? I think this should be tossed. Is that... Yeah, that's, that's fuzz. <laughs> that, that's mold on the casserole. Now imagine taking those old leftovers and bringing them to your friend that just had a baby. And you're like, you know, presenting it like you made it this afternoon. They thought they could pull one over on the Lord, and the Lord is not deceived. They are the ones that are deceived. You see, the problem, simply put, is they actually thought so little of God. That they began to think, if we just bring them our leftovers of worship, that'll do. Should be good enough. Long gone are the days of the Passover, right? That was so long back there. But that one-year-old, unblemished, male sheep that was brought to the Lord as my best offering. Well, long gone is that. Grab that lame sheep. Get the blind one, the lame one. Or We'll see later in, in later verses, get the one that's been stolen, grab that one, and in so doing, let's hold back our best because, you know, you can make profit on our best. Um, that one-year-old unblemished lamb, that one's worth a lot. So let's keep that one back. Now they appeared godly. Lots of blood is flowing. Lots of sacrificing is going on. Lots of offerings they did things that the people of God were supposed to do, and yet their hearts were far from honoring or worshiping the Lord. And so they presumed upon God while bringing to God their leftovers and calling that worship. They become self focused, me centered. The worship of God with your leftovers is this consumer mentality that Christian was talking about last week. It's meism, the subtle worship of self. I am who matters here. I got hurt. I'm not serving where I want to serve. Where is the favor of the Lord? I want to be recognized. I want position. This meism comes natural to every one of us in the room. I'm at the center in the religion of meism. It's subtle, and yet it's deadly dangerous. Me, not God, is what concerns me most, even when it comes to the worship of God. That's the people in Malachi. Pleasing me is my focus. I determine if I go to church, I determine what time I'll get there. If I will serve, I'll let you know. How I might, I, I might feel like just slandering his bride. And it all boils down not in who he is, but how I feel. Meism. Because God actually exists, doesn't he? To make me happy. They've lost sight on the sovereign, unmerited grace of God in verse 2 and his majestic fatherhood in verse 6. And the result is this sloppy, leftover worship that they toss at the Lord and it's dishonoring to the Lord. How have we despised your name, they ask. After all, look at all this religious activity. Look at all the sacrifices. Religious activity, church, does not equal worship religious activity is often simply a performance it's a show it's a show either to god it's a show to others and sometimes it's even a show to ourselves. and in all three all three it says look at me look at all i am doing in malachi they're saying in light of all that i'm doing i deserve more where's the love lord they assume they assumed hey look at this large quantity of religious things that we're doing. Lord, you must be pleased with us in light of all these sacrifice, sacrifices. How have you loved us? Where's the response? They think God is actually, well, they think they're the God and God is to be on the puppet strings of their life. They didn't want a God to be worshipped. They wanted a God on their own terms. They have serious scotoma, Who's at the center of their worship? Well, they are. And as I've said, we must not dismiss ourselves this morning. This meism lives closer to our hearts than we think. This performance based religion is alive in us today. Man centered living tells us to do what we do to get something from God, to somehow manipulate him, to put him on the puppet strings. God centered living says we do what we do. Because of what we've already been given by the Lord. We respond in worship to the Lord because of all the unmerited grace and favor and love of the Lord. Let my service be done in worship to Him. Listen, churches are literally built on the very things that they were doing in 450 BC. And you can fill the auditorium, and I'm saying that self-righteously as if that potential doesn't exist in me. It's not something way out there. No, not us. Never. Couldn't be us. It's right here. It's right here. Just because our website, or just because you have Google tag words that say a God centered church, means nothing. They're just words. G. Campbell Morgan says these people are not in open rebellion against God, nor do they deny his rights to offerings, but they are laboring under the delusion that because they have brought offerings, they have been true to him all along. Theirs is not the language of people throwing off a yoke and saying, we will not be loyal, but a people established in the temple. It's not the language of a people who say, let's cease to sacrifice and worship and let us do as we please. It's the language of a people who say, we are sacrificing and worshiping to please God. And yet he says by the mouth of his servant, you have wearied me. You have robbed and spoken against me. And when the prophet tells them that what God thinks of them, they with astonishment and impertinence look into his face and say, we don't see this at all. How can this be true of us? Look at all our activity. We're good, right? Look at all the sacrificing going on here. Paul uh, Paul to Timothy puts it in even stronger terms when he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Or in our text, verse 8, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Again, going back to our first sermon, the shock is that we're in the room. That we've been chosen by God. That was the whole point. You're a chosen race. Wow. Huh? What? You're a royal priesthood. What? I'm... You are a royal priesthood, a holiness, a people belonging to God. Shock, you're in the room. Outside of God's sovereign grace in our lives, we would not be here. But I don't want to just be in the room, right? I want to be all in the room. I want my service to be God-centered. I want my offering to be God-centered. I want my singing to be meaningful. I want want to offer the Lord more than my leftovers and toss them at him and say, oh, you're good with that, right? I want to come and do what we do with a heart of worship to the Lord. And I'm aware at how dull my heart can be. And I'm aware it's where we all easily drift. Not saying you're not in the room. In the room, majestic things become casual things. Awesome glory becomes a yawn. In the room, holiness is, yeah, whatever. Worship becomes a spectacle, a, a means of entertainment. We assume God is with us, we have grace, we're chosen by God, and sloppy worship can ensue. And Malachi comes to us and says to us, really, by the grace of God, wake up. Wake up. Their problem is our problem. Bring your leftovers to God. Save back your best for your own benefit. Verse 13, the priests were weary it says dealing with the people's offering so many sacrifices tired of another person here comes another guy bringing another lame sheep another sacrifice gotta cut it gotta slay it nasty job bloody job dealing with people's nasty sin i'm tired of it is the priest have you been there have i been there and the lord through the messenger rebukes me and maybe you too Why? Because the priestly activity started, they they started to think that this is about us. It's not about the Lord. So they kept doing all that activity and thinking, you know, the Lord must be pleased. Look at all this blood. Look at all this sacrifice. The Lord surely impressed. Oh, weary. Here comes another one. Church, we don't want to be guilty of bringing our leftovers to God and then calling that worship. Three. A God-centered solution. We turn a corner. Another messenger will come. And he will carry a burden. The burden of the Lord. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I'll not accept an offering from your hand. For hear this grace. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great. It will be <laughs> in spite of you. It will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then he says, but you profane it. And He goes on from there. Right there in the middle of this, like you've got it's it's sandwiched in. Verse, uh, what is it? Verse 11 is sandwiched in between sloppy sacrifices. I will have a people, is what he's saying, who is going to honor my name. More sloppy sacrifices. Right in that, in the middle of that is God's grace. God, God will have a people who will honor him. His name will be made great among the nations. His awesome glory, his greatness Malachi is the messenger of that, saying God will have a people. He will be worshipped. Friends, I want to be among those people. (laughs) Verse 11. I want to be counted among those people that verse 11 speaks to. John Piper in a sermon goes all the way back to 1987. I thought, let's check out. Let's see what Mr. Piper has to say. All the way back in 1987, he preached from Malachi uh, chapter 1. He says this. But how does this cause careless worship? Malachi's answer, it makes a person bored with God and excited about the world. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a streetlight. If you never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. I get this from verse 13 of our text. What a weariness this is, you say. And you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. They are bored with God. Their basic attitude toward worship, what a weariness this is. And when you become so blind that the maker of galaxies and the ruler of nations and the knower of all mysteries and the lover of our souls becomes boring, then only one thing is left, the love of the world. For the heart is always restless. It must have its treasure. If not in heaven, then on earth. And so when it, when it is time to bring sheep from the flock to sacrifice, what do you bring? You bring the sheep with disease and broken legs. You steal a sheep to bring. Why? It's obvious the good sheep sell better. And you love money more than God. Well, good news. Malachi chapter 3. We reference it pretty often, especially around Advent time. Chapter 3, verse 1. You, now you know the context to chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. Right, We've got a messenger. We've got Malachi, but oh, I'm going to send another messenger. This is referring to John the Baptist. Listen to what he says. And he will prepare the way before me. Who's the me? <laughs> the me is Jesus. I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That, that's Jesus. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. So John the Baptist will be that messenger who's going to prepare a way for another messenger. And the messenger will not only carry the burden of the Lord, he is the burden of the Lord. He is the word of the Lord. He is the sacrifice. The unblemished, spotless lamb of God. God did not send us his leftovers. Leftovers. And Jesus didn't offer us his leftovers. The very son of God, the sacrificial lamb of God went to the cross, was slaughtered for our sins. And that's why you and I are here this morning. That's why we're here. That's why we do church. Let's come together as a church. That's the gospel centeredness. That drives our God-centeredness that we so desire. That is what drives our worship this morning. I don't mean just the singing. I mean our worship this morning in all that we do. Walk in those doors. Maybe utter it out loud or to yourself, but I'm here for you, Lord. I'm not first and foremost here for me. Thank you. Sometimes the Lord blesses us and he provides for us and he does amazing things, but I'm here for you and I wanna bring you my best. I wanna bring my best when I teach in the children's ministry. I wanna bring my best as an usher. I wanna bring my best and as I serve in whatever way. I wanna bring my best and as I give to you. I want it to count. I want it to count in the sense of this is my holy worship to a holy God. Because he's worthy. Can I say, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no one in mind. I have no clue. I am happy to sit on the front row and not know what's behind me. But can I say, arrive on time. Arrive on time. Not because the worship team is great. Not because of, of some wonderful entertainment that's about to start. Not because we want to even be timely people but because of who we worship. We gather for the Lord. There, are, Hear me, there's good reasons to be late. There are good reasons to be Flat tire is a good reason to be late. There are good reasons, but casualness towards God is not among a good reason to be late. To be indifferent towards the Lord and your worship of the Lord, it's like just saying, God, accept my leftovers. Where might I, ask yourself this, where might I have spiritual scotoma if the worship team would join me? Praise be to God. Another messenger is being prophesied of here. That messenger has come carrying the burden of the Lord. Tim Keller writes, It is essential then that we distinguish religion from the gospel. Religion as the default mode of our thinking and practices is based upon performance. I obey, therefore, I'm accepted by God. The basic operating principle of the gospel, however, is not surprisingly an about face, one of unmerited acceptance. I am accepted by God through Christ, therefore, I obey, or I'll say, I worship. Let's stand together. I just want to read verse 11 one more time, and then let's sing. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So lift our voices and worship our God this morning. So worthy.